0: This is the municipal.
1: Have you been paying attention to like city stuff?
0: Don't vote, can't bitch. Sorry to uh, to point that <laughs> finger at you. My answer was that would be yes <laughs> and no.
1: My tummy hurts, and I'm mad at the government.
0: You're saying council wouldn't approve it, and two, you're robbing them of their their voice.
1: It's it's he's already he's already failed to vote. Ult-
0: Hello and welcome to the municipals. I'm Matthew, and I'm Philip, and we're back again today. Back at it again. I'm so happy to be here, Philip. It's been a rough week for me. I don't, I think you remember me telling you this past week. I didn't celebrate it. It's not worth celebrating, but uh, it's the four year anniversary of, of the day I lost my mother, and uh, you know. It, it was it was rough and you know even my wife said to me she's like you know Matthew it wasn't this rough on you last year and I took that as if to say it's time to get over it but no, that's not what she was saying it's like something's something's deeper this year than it was last year and the only thing that I can figure and I'm sorry I'll get off my soapbox after this but um It's like when I, I feel like when I lost her, I lost, I don't know, maybe a part of me died. I'm not sure. Um, You know, it's, that's why therapists get paid the big bucks, I guess. Um,
1: (laughs) You know, if we knew what they knew, I guess they would be out of business.
0: Right? The secret to uh, happy life. Anyway. While we're waiting for our guests, because we're going to be joined by two amazing women later in the episode, I wanted to have sort of a, I wanted to bite in further, I guess is the expression, to the conversation we were having last week regarding, um, we're going to talk about provincial and federal for a minute, guys, so bear with us, Uh,
1: but I wanted to... Um, Temporarily, the provincial Pals and the Federal Pals. I, I wanted There's to... municipals is a great title because it just flows. It's very nice. I'm very yeah. glad we're not focused on the other ones.
0: That's right, right? And, and it doesn't hurt that you came up with the name. I give you all that credit. Um, I wanted to dig in further than I, I think maybe Beth, and thank you again for coming on the show last week, but maybe further than Beth wanted to go. About, uh, and I'll go back even further to our episode with Nick, where he said, not enough people were pissed off at John Tory to make the change. So let's take that and apply that to federal and provincial politics. I want to start off by reading, because I said, remember, we said we were going to do this. I'm going to read the letter that was written to Mike Schreiner, and I'm going to read his response, and then we'll talk about it. Um, so it says, it says, dear Mike Schreiner, we are a group of Ontario liberals who are deeply concerned about the state of politics in Ontario and more broadly, the future of our province and our country. We know we are not alone. Millions of Ontarians share these concerns and they feel increasingly alienated and dissatisfied with quote pol- uh, politics as usual. Our politics are stuck in an endless loop of gimmicks and cynical games. Ontarians are troubled by the Ford government's abandonment of environmental and economic standards, <clears throat> including their attack on the green, uh, upon the green belt, uh, the, the conservation authorities, municipal management of development and more. They are worried about the increasing... Privatization of our healthcare system. Ontarians are demanding something better. This uh, that is why we are taking this unprecedented step to reach outside our ranks to urge you, the leader of another party, to join the Ontario Liberals and run for our party's leadership. Many of us, longtime Liberals, some of us served as MPPs and ministers in previous Liberal governments. Others represent a new generation of liberals and several of us ran as candidates in the recent provincial election. But we all agree on one thing. Our party needs to rediscover a politics of purpose and principle. We need to reach out to a new generation of voters. We need to open up to new people and new ideas and to embrace the kind of energy and enthusiasm that is driving grassroots activism and engagement across the province. That's why we are turning to you. All of us has, have followed your career and clarity of purpose that you have shown in your political life uh, is an inspiring contrast to the cynicism and, that dominates our politics today. We believe that your strong principled base approach and your ability to connect and motivate activists, especially young people, is exactly what our party and province need now. Climate change is def- is a defining issue of our time. And on this and on any other matter relating to the environment, you speak with both passion and authority. It is the same when it comes to healthcare. You stood up to Doug Ford on the sorry state of our healthcare system during the last provincial election campaign during the leaders debate you challenged him on behalf of tens of thousands overworked and underpaid nurses in our province you saw through him then and you have the credibility to take our fight to him on the issue of healthcare now we know we know what we are asking you to do is with is without precedent but this moment is also without precedent. As Liberal leader, you will not only have a larger audience of supporters, but you, have, you will have a broader platform to rally Ontarians and impress upon them the need to take action on a crucial list of issues like climate change and the environment. Ultimately, the most important of all, it would give you a much greater opportunity of achieving the goals you have, that you have championed. For our part, you should decide to, should you decide to run, we pledge our support and we commit to work hard to help you win the Ontario Liberal leadership and to rebuild the party as a vital grassroots organization across the province. As a first step, we have established www.draftmike.ca, a website where we are inviting Ontarians to show their support for your candidacy. We want to stress that this is not a vote of non-confidence in our party or the many talented individuals that have expressed an interest in potentially leading it. This is an effort to open up our party and move beyond the narrow scope of traditional partisan politics. We know what kind of future we want our children, Uh, we want for our children and grandchildren we are ready to roll up our sleeves and make it happen but we need a leader to guide us there we believe that you can be such a leader we urge you to run what do you think
1: so you know honestly the whole thing is very interesting and i know it's it's very easy to it's so interesting let's just bottom line it's an interesting poll. I know people who are more cynical about the liberals will be like, well, on the one hand, they are correct when they say that as as a party, liberals will sort of have that name recognition advantage that the Greens will never have. And absolutely. That's true. The The thing is, though, if if Mike wanted to run under the liberal banner, Mike Schreiner would be a liberal. Um, And he's not. And I I feel like the thing is, I can see why it would be tempting for him to go the route that is more mainstream appeal than the Green Party. And it's not like, you know, he becomes the liberal. Well, I guess it's complicated because I was going to say, if he becomes the the leader of the Liberal Party, then the Liberal Party would sort of, fall under him and he could push his environmental activism but at the same time the liberal party is not just controlled by the leader of the party like there's a there's a mechanism there's there's
0: there's a pecking you know there's a
1: exactly and so you know everybody likes mike schreiner he's a great guy and anyone would be lucky to have him
0: you know it's interesting i could Sorry, I'll let you finish your thought because I found what you just said interesting and I'll tell you why, but go ahead and finish.
1: Um, it's got to be very complimentary to Mike that uh, so many people from another party are thinking about a premier Shriner and he should be excited about that. Um, I don't I don't think you would actually be... I, I feel like a lot of people would judge him and, and say it was like abandoning his... No, wait, I just addressed that. Where the issue is, he could he could still have his ideals, but would the Liberal Party allow him to run that way?
0: It's funny you should mention that. I got two things I wanted to say, and then I'm gonna read the letter that Mike wrote. Um, would it be funny if they allowed trades in um, in provincial politics in any politics? You could trade trade Mike Schreiner from the Green Party to the Liberals f- for Stephen Del. Oh wait, Stephen Del Duke is not a member yeah, anymore. No, that's that's well. First
1: of all, worthless trade. Like that's just. Oh my god. Well, and actually, that's that's a, a good thing. Sorry, it's like we're just we're trading off good points, but like, so the the Liberal Party has the Liberal Party itself has the name recognition. But who did they just choose to be their leader, Stephen Del Duca? Who the fuck is Stephen Del Duca? Was could, Stephen Del Duca who couldn't even win his own seat? Who couldn't even win his own seat? I do feel like the Ontario Liberals definitely have to do some soul searching to really see kind of where the party does does. And this is very cynical. Does the party even have a place in the province anymore? Like the NDP have stepped in as like, well, I say stepped in, like they are elected as the official opposition. They've got the seats. That's how, that's how it works. You know, they had the one election where they got decimated, the 2018 one. So 2022 was a chance to sort of be like, okay, we're the natural, uh, either governing or opposition party. So we're going to get those seats back. That didn't happen. Like, are we... Is the province done with the Liberal Party? Maybe maybe that's the conversation we should be having.
0: And, you know, I find that so interesting that you say that because it, it all goes back to the job that Kathleen Wynne did as the Premier. This is why the, pro- the party was decimated. But it goes back to a lot of the things she did while she was the Premier. My question, I, I, and I, I mean, you can answer it later. You don't have to answer it now. Why hasn't this stuff been repealed? Like when the sex ed, for example, when the controversial sex ed first came out, people were pissed off and Doug Ford didn't like it. So he's been in power now, what, almost five years? Why hasn't he repealed it? I mean, that's an interesting question. And I mean, I'm sure there's others, but that one is the one that comes to mind. Now, uh, as far as everybody likes Mike, as you were saying, you know, I'm not going to read off this whole list of names, but I will say, you know, I see Deb Matthews, former deputy premier. I see, um, I see, oh, where the hell's her name? Uh, Liz Sandals, a former uh, cabinet minister. I see uh, Lucille Collard, who's a current liberal MPP. You know who I don't see? I don't see Kathleen Wynne's name on this list of people who signed the, uh, this letter to Mike. I don't see Dalton McGinty. I don't see
1: Justin Trudeau. I, you know, I don't know if uh, Justin Trudeau would be involved, but I do feel like you do make a good point about Dalton McGuinty and Kathleen Wynne, and I do feel like they they have to be against this. And like I, I feel also, like it would.
0: Sorry. Also, to cut you off, there's no Stephen Del Duca either.
1: <laughs> well, I don't know if that would be an endorsement if uh, his signature were on this. Uh, that would be Mike seeing it be like, oh, I'm good. <laughs> you know, there's no reason for me to be so dickish to Del Duca except that why was he the liberal leader? Like, come on, you guys. It's like he didn't want to win. <laughs> um, but I feel like with Kathleen Wynn and uh, Dalton McGinty, I wonder if there's a sort of like I wanna say a sort of pride where it's like they don't want to admit I mean I feel like liberals in general, I mean I would I would define myself as I don't know, I'm no farther left than liberals, but like I feel like liberals are are very hard-pressed to admit to mistakes. And I feel like Sorry, the leadership of liberals more than like, you know, the people. Um, and with I feel like asking for another party's leader to come step in to be the face of this party is a huge indictment against the previous leaders of the party. So I 100 percent get why they wouldn't want to sign that letter.
0: OK, so now I'm going to read uh, his response and then, and then we'll go from there. He says, I believe Ontario needs bold, urgent action to stop the Ford government from dismantling all what we all love about Ontario and to work together to build a caring, connected climate ready province, uh, a caring, connected, client ready, climate ready province. Holy fuck. <laughs> that puts people. it been first. a rough day. That puts people first. Uh, before party politics. As you know, I have always said that I have no ambition to lead any other party than the Ontario Green Party. Uh, yesterday, I received a serious letter from people who expressed concerns I share about the current government and the need for urgent action, action on the climate crisis. They have reached out to part, across party lines in, an, in a unique way in the spirit of doing politics differently. So I'm going to ask people to give me time to think about their arguments. Most importantly, I want, to know, I want to know what my constituents in Guelph, my friends and colleagues in the Green Party, and people across Ontario think about this letter. Right now, I remain focused on representing my constituents and working with people in the fight to protect the Green Belt as I take time to respond to this letter. My question to you, Philip. I usually ask for your thoughts, but I'm going to ask you questions and you can give me your thoughts. Isn't that he said his last line is uh, uh, right now, I remain focused on representing my constituents and working with people in the fight to protect the green belt as I take time to respond to this letter. But isn't that a response to the letter? So my question to you is, is that a response? And if so, is that a no um, in your opinion,
1: I <laughs> I think it's a classic, I don't think it's a no. I think it's it's a classic non-committal political classic political non-committal answer. He he's not saying no. And the fact is, and I know I, I said my whole piece before, but that's with knowledge of of his response. And that mm-hmm. is, I'm surprised that it wasn't a straight up no. It wasn't. I'm the leader of the Green Party, and you know these are. I'm leader of the Green Party because this is where my values are at. This is where my values are focused, and I, I really, and again, I don't actually, due to the fact that I know the name brand of the Liberal Party would take Mike further uh, than the Green Party brand does, and I'm sure people would see that as chasing power. Sorry, Matt, I know I'm jumping all over the place. But it's, oh, it's I feel like it's good. a it's a complicated like thought process where it's like I don't I understand where people would see it as kind of a betrayal if Mike were to take the liberal leadership, um and it looked like power chasing. Um, but at the same time, if he truly believes in his cause and he feels like running under the liberal name will get him closer to being able to fulfill those that cause, is that not is that not more important than Sticking to a name, and I know that wasn't even your question. Your question was, Did he ask, was that letter an answer? And I would say it is, in that it's non committal. He didn't say no, but he didn't say yes. I'll
0: be very interested, uh, to look up that website. What was it, draftmike.ca or some shit like <laughs> that? We'll look that up and we'll report back. So I read this letter because it sets up what I wanted to do next, which is a it's a philosophical, I guess, conversation about the future of politics. Let's, for argument's sake, put Mike as the leader of the Liberals. Okay? And we have Merritt Styles. I'm so excited about her. As the leader of the NDP. And, of course, you have Doug Ford as the leader of the Conservatives.
1: <laughs>
0: what does it take... Now, speaking just provincially, what is it going to take to get Doug Ford out of office? Assuming he does not resign and somebody else takes his place or he doesn't retire or whatever the fuck word you want to use. What's it going to take? Are people, if if we go back to what Nick said about John Tory, that people weren't pissed off enough to, to make that change for John Tory. And his name is a recognized name, whether we like it or not. People, oh, John Dorio, I know who that is. Same could be said for Doug Ford, mostly because of Rob Ford. But the Ford name is, everybody knows that. What's it going to take for either Merritt Stiles or Mike Schreiner to unseat Doug Ford? And will it have to come? So answer that. And then I guess two part two is would any sort of defeat of Doug Ford have to come in, in, I guess, with a, with a coalition? Go ahead. In your opinion. So uh,
1: what do you mean by opinion? Everything I say is fact, but I think the hard, the hard thing about your question is here's, Here's what I thought would be enough to defeat Doug Ford. Letting Doug Ford be the premier and doing what he planned to do. And he did. And he was premier for four years and he was shit. I didn't think we needed to do anything beyond just let him be shit. And we'd like not vote for that again. But uh, I was wrong. And I mean, but of course that goes hand in hand with, uh, you know, low voter turnout, which has... I know Nick points out correctly, you know, correctly, a part of it is, you know, if people aren't, some people aren't feeling a certain way, they're not that obligated to vote. I do also think that this is a case of people just feeling disenfranchised and like voting doesn't matter. And I, I don't know. And the low voter turnout is not, it's not government confidence, you know? But again, I really thought just letting Doug Ford be the premier would be enough to to get it done. Sorry, and what was your you had like a second follow-up. So
0: what's it gonna take to beat Doug Ford? Oh, and, oh, and, and 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 right. and and will it come in the form of a coalition?
1: You know, like everyone was prior to the provincial election, uh, I guess hot, hot off the heels of the um the federal supply and uh whatever the their sort of weak weak kind of coalition. They're mini not so great coalition. But uh I I think the the image in the provincial election was like a more like hard line coalition with the liberals and the NDP. And it it's is that the solution? It's it's hard because in my mind I'm just opposed to what Doug Ford does. And so in my head so, I think, oh yeah,
0: okay, so, so let the me liberals
1: and the NDP Let me jump okay, in yeah, and help you. Let,
0: let me jump in and help you. <laughs> Is part of a campaign for either the Liberals or the NDP going to have to include the promise to repeal Bill 23, Bill 39, and and maybe there are other bills, but those are the two that come to mind?
1: You know, you'd think you'd have to because, like, I mean, I don't know. I hate to say that we can't trust polling, but... Uh, you know, we've seen things that say that the, you know, the attempt by the province to privatize healthcare is insanely unpopular. And so I don't know why I feel like a logical government would uh, repeal those things. So if, say, if an NDP government said that they would repeal them and a liberal government kind of doesn't say anything about it, I mean, of course, I'm giving you this hypothetical where the NDP is the good guys because that's you know how I see them. But like, I don't see how any government they have to. I I don't know. I just see them as bad guys. So I don't I don't see how a campaign. But you can't have a campaign that's just. We've been saying this about the federal parties too. You're it's like, funny you because can't that's, have where, a that's where campaign. That's just. That's where I'm going next. Yeah. it's like you can't have a campaign it's not a political platform to just be those guys are bad. Like you have to have your own ideas. So it's, it's interesting that I say to you, Matt, that it, it seems so obvious to have a campaign. That's just Doug Ford's conservatives are bad, but that's not a campaign. That's not a platform.
0: Do you think that enough people are pissed off at Doug Ford to make a change?
1: You'd think I, I would think, I mean, I I feel like even in 2018, I feel like the Ford government had started doing their egregious stuff then. And then it's sort of like a couple of years in. I mean, obviously, they have the pandemic, so things are a bit different. But it almost feels like they get voted in. So they have the mandate and they start doing the really bad shit immediately. Get that, you know, gross taste in our mouths. And then along the way, sort of soften it up. So by the time an election comes,
0: it's sort of forgotten. But that's not conservative specific.
1: No, no, God no, no. That's no, no, no. That's not no, no, no. I I know I villainize conservatism and like and conservative so, politicians, but no, that, that is.
0: You are free to villainize anyone you like on this show. This is
1: a safe space. I know. I know. <laughs> so let's let's just move like, on. To- just like last week when I when I sort of was free and clear for us to say. You know, fuck Polyev, And then I, I, I slowed you down from saying fuck Trudeau. Despite the fact that, you know what? Dude deserves it. It's fine. It's okay. Well,
0: we, we might have to look out for that Bill C-11. But anyway. <laughs> oh, no. Anyway.
1: Justin I- Trudeau, no!
0: Whatever. So now that Justin Trudeau has thrown out the baby with the bathwater in terms of his coalition or whatever you want to call it with Jagmeet Singh what's it going to take to defeat Justin Trudeau
1: you know i i i feel like at this point again i make it very clear i i don't want conservatives in power anywhere but it's we have a very good chance that the conservatives will unseat Justin Trudeau simply by virtue of he's been there so long stephen harper was the prime minister for 9 years and for the most part they got rid of him because it was just like you were here for so long, so I really do think I, as cynical as it sounds, and I know with with Doug Ford, it feels more pressing, and it. I really do feel like the next election is Justin Trudeau's to lose. I, I think it's just a timing thing, which isn't. It's not a great philosophical answer because it doesn't sort of it doesn't answer to the consequences of poor leadership or any of that. Well, um, but let's, I, I...
0: let's close this by saying i'll give you i'll give you my thoughts if, if that's okay i didn't mean to cut you off i apologize i don't see what i see with Merritt styles i don't see that with jagmeet Singh. he cannot no. be tr- he cannot be trusted he is justin trudeau 1.0 where justin trudeau is the original justin trudeau he's maybe 1.0 <laughs> or 0. 0.5 whatever um,
1: you want 1.1. 1. 1. There, there needs so, to be movement there.
0: So the Justin Trudeau is Justin Trudeau 1.0. The only logical choice, unfortunately, if you don't like what I'm about to say, I apologize, but is the conservatives because the liberals have been in power since 2015 on the promise of legalizing weed. That's the only reason they got in. Um, and we've seen what Justin Trudeau can do. We've seen it. He, he's not capable of running this country. He makes a mockery out of this country. He he. When, when Trump was in power, everyone... Re, Don, Donald Trump regarded Justin Trudeau as his little bitch. That's the way I saw it. I don't know if you saw it that way, Philip, but that's the way I saw it. And you can say what you want about Stephen Harper. Personally, I thought he was fucking boring, even though I supported him. I... I find, even though I don't agree with a lot of what Polyev says, I find him entertaining. Um, and to close that up, because uh, our, our guests are, are, I guess they're loading in right now, but I just wanted to say one more thing. Were you, did you catch the tweet, Philip, about um, uh, the, there's uh A bunch of people, I guess they're part of the Convoy gang. They are review bombing the Sheridan Hotel in Hamilton where Trudeau stayed. Like, bad reviews. Why? I guess because they hate Justin Trudeau. (laughs) Like, bad reviews.
1: Here's what I will say. Um, I mean, obviously, fundamentally, uh, I don't, I don't agree with I don't I don't think Justin Trudeau is a, is a great prime minister but for the most part I feel like a lot of his uh I feel like a lot of his criticism I'd like it to be pointed more towards uh you know what he says he's going to do and then doesn't do. And I do feel like I don't know but it's I'm I'm worried about I in my mind in my in my opinion because I'm very I hate conservative ideology you know, the conservatives get in power and in my mind, the best case scenario is they just don't accomplish any of their goals. <laughs> I mean, um, whereas with the liberals, I mean, I feel like if Justin Trudeau would just do what he says, you know, in campaigns, they'd be fine. They'd be doing OK. But he's not doing a lot of the things that he like promises I mean, and that's, I know, that's a lot of politicians. It's not, I don't know. It sounds like, it's so weird because I feel like it constantly sounds like I'm defending Justin Trudeau because I am, but I shouldn't because he's not great. I don't know. I'm weird about it. Don't, don't ask me too deeply about it. We share a birthday.
0: Bold of you to admit. Now, um, (laughs) we're still waiting on, we're still waiting on one of our guests. So until then, um. I have, I have another letter I wanted to read. I don't know if you've caught this, but there's a lot of shit going on at one. Th- I believe it's one thirty Jameson in, in Parkdale. Um, so apparently this lady, I don't know how old she is, but she lived there with her mother. I believe that's the story. And her mother unfortunately passed away. And now they're trying to say that this lady was not a registered tenant and therefore she needs to forfeit the apartment. And if she doesn't want to forfeit the apartment, they want to put her up market rent style and force her to pay more money. And um, this has been verified. So I said that once it was verified that I would, have a few words to say to directly to these people. So before our our guests jump on, I'm going to do that. So there's a letter and it's dated January 25th, 2023 uh, to a lady named Janice Walker. And this was put on social media. So it's completely legal. Uh, Re-unauthorized occupancy of apartment at 130 Jameson Avenue, Toronto. Please be advised I have been retained by the landlord. Please be advised you are currently occupying the premises to an unauthorized occupant. Please be advised that the landlord has instructed me to proceed with the application to have the tenant tenancy terminated. At this point, I was instructed to try and make a without prejudice offer to you to make you an official legal tenant. The offer is as follows. The market rent is currently 2,100 per month for this apartment. The landlord is prepared to offer you to Jesus. become to become a tenant on the condition that you sign a document that indicates the monthly rent per month will be 1550, that's 1550, uh, plus parking and hydro, effective February 1st, 2023. <sighs> Please respond in writing no later than January 27th, 2023 at 3 p.m. If the event that I do not hear back from you before uh, by the deadline period are provided, I will have no choice but to com- uh, commence an application to evict at the landlord and tenant. So then, here's a response. Uh, so the property management for 130 uh, Jameson is called Myriad, property management their head office is at 125 north finch drive unit 205 toronto ontario m3n 1w8 and uh so this letter is addressed to gerald goldenberg the ceo stephen goldenberg the president neil goldenberg the vice president linda paris the secretary scott paris the treasurer and risa goldenberg wexler and it says, Dear Gerald, Steve, Neil, Linda, Scott, and Risa, this letter is in response to your company's recent decision to push out one of our neighbours, Janice Walker, after her mom Bernice's death. We are writing to make it clear that these actions are unacceptable and will not be tolerated. In 1987, at the age of 19, Janice moved into the building to live with her mother after her father's sudden passing. She's lived in the same rental unit since that day and has been a great tenant and neighbor without issue. Janice and her mother have paid their rent out of a joint bank account for more than 30 years with Janice being the person in charge of their finances. Janice has on two occasions requested to be added as a tenant to the occupancy papers once in 2020 and again in July 2022. Both times she was told by Irene that the information was submitted and there would be no further issues. After her mother's death, she spoke to Adrian, your building manager, on the phone, and she was treated terribly and told she has 30 days to leave. Janice is still grieving the death of her mother. She hasn't even buried her yet. She cried and begged to stay, and Adrian told her it's, quote, or sorry, quote. It's company policy. Your company's handling of this issue is frankly deplorable. We hope uh, we hope in this specific situation you make the right decision to refrain from intimidating Miss Walker and allow her to stay in her in her home. And there was more of the letter, but it got cut off when I took the picture. But uh, to Mister Gerald Goldenberg, to Stephen Goldenberg, and the rest of them. And to Myriad Property Management at 130, Jameson, who was also trying to evict people over the air conditioning thing last year, fuck all of you. Seriously, let this lady live in peace. I know what it's like to lose a mother. Fuck all of you. And anyone that has anything to do with Myriad Property Management, let's go and do a protest or something. Let's do something at 125 North Finch Drive. Um, if you guys are interested, you can hit me up on Twitter at Matthew King five uh, eleven. You can hit up the show at the Municipals, and 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 you can hit up Phil at PJ for TO, and let's get something together and fuck myriad uh, property management. And with that, I'd like to welcome our guests. <laughs> you guys can unmute. Sorry for the wait, uh, <laughs> Kayla Hunter and Britt Karen. Welcome to the show.
2: Hi, Matt. Hi, Bill. Hi,
1: Matt. What's Bill? up, guys? Hello.
2: <laughs> hey. We made it finally.
1: Hey.
2: <laughs> Thanks for waiting for my bedtime
3: officially. Machine. Meet us,
1: pals. Yeah,
3: <laughs> and for waiting for my concussion to resolve somewhat.
0: <laughs> I'm really, really uh, sorry. I've I've had concussion issues in the past, so I know how that is. Yeah. Um, did you guys hear about this story for with uh, Myriad Property Management?
2: Yeah
3: it's mm-hmm. it's
0: really sad
2: yeah it's messed up it's funny i have a friend who lives on uh, Tyndall over there and her partner moved in and they kept not putting him on the lease and i was like i don't think they can do that you know she was like i can't because oh, like, so like special... if i add him she was like if i add him oh, then they'll just I'm like sure. up the rent to like current market rent um, how does that work yeah oh i don't God. know it has i'm sure it's like some kind of weird loophole mm-hmm. um but it's like you know, it's just pretty fucked up. And also like you could imagine that it would keep people. I mean, obviously like Janice, but you could imagine so many situations where like women in like domestic violence situations end up getting fucked over because mm-hmm. they're not in police. And anyway, it's just making me think of all the ways that someone can really get screwed and now we're seeing it, obviously.
1: Yeah. So you I mean, two
0: sorry, go ahead, Philip.
1: Oh, I was just gonna say it's like it's this is sort of what goes hand in hand with I've said it a lot where our current situation feels like it's 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 always been employers wanting to pay as little as they can with landlords wanting to charge as much as they can. And now we're at such a gap where that gap is so huge that it's just it's not even hitting that rental part. Sorry, mm-hmm. I'm not even, I realize I'm not even really hitting the same point. I just, I hate rentals suck. Properties <laughs> suck. They should just <laughs> it's it's all frustrating it sucks
3: (laughs) the financialization of housing sucks
1: (laughs) thank you Kayla you said it so well
0: no problem
1: (laughs) so
0: one or both of you took uh part in the budget deputation am I correct in that
3: yeah we both did
0: and I I I tried to look up uh, your deputation i was going to play it but if you just want to summarize basically your points i'd love to hear it i'll give you the floor uh kayla if you want to start and then brick jump in
3: sure yeah um so basically my deputation was really around the city that i want to live in and want to be in community in and the city that we currently have and the city that we will continue to have um if this budget uh goes through or the problems that it will perpetuate if this budget goes through uh you know i touched on a few different points um you know i am not in favor of increasing the police budget in any way shape or form i am in favor of defunding the police uh severely honestly um i am i want to live in a city that has housing for everyone that meets their needs, that is accessible, that is affordable and attainable. Um, I want people to live their lives in dignity and without fear. And that was that was a line that I had in, in what I had written um, because right now I think what we're seeing is really this kind of critical mass of people for many different reasons being completely unable to access dignity in the way that they live. And we collectively are not affording each other the opportunity to access that dignity by continuing to increase police funding, continuing to kind of paper over the cracks in our city, continuing to, you know, put our heads in the sand when it comes to the climate crisis and funding a $2 billion re- restoration of the gardener. You know, like these are all very tangible ways in which we are taking that access to dignity away from each other. And that was really kind of the, um, the, you know, kernel of my deputation. Um, but yeah, Britt had some really awesome points in hers too. So I'll pass it over to you, Britt.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think that I'm looking for the, essentially the same city that Kayla is describing and just like I was coming at it from a little bit of a different angle. So kind of my background is in more like kind of know radical organizing around defunding the police and like anti-capitalist feminist anti-racist kind of stuff but um recently in the last couple of years so um i actually own my house which came about after i um, was going to be evicted from this house and then got like an essentially an early um inheritance so i could stay and i organize with people who have um access to wealth and um, we organize on like kind of an individual level of encouraging people with access to wealth to redistribute that wealth. And then on a hopefully more systemic level where we like try and shift policy to like tax inheritances, tax property, tax, you know, big salaries, et cetera, et cetera. And so um, I kind of came together with a couple of people to brainstorm like what it would look like for people who actually are at the kind of like top of the food chain to to be like, why don't we why don't you tax us more? Um, in order to pay for this city. And so my deputation was about property taxes and about how Toronto has the lowest property taxes in Ontario and how, you know, even though we're getting a higher property tax than we're used to this year, that's like a very, um, that's after like a decade of really artificially low property taxes. It's really my first year paying property taxes. So like, I don't have, like a, I didn't really have a great sense before, but like obviously renters are paying for the lion's share of that um, when their landlords are just offloading costs onto them. Um, and so essentially what I was trying, I'm trying to reframe this idea of like taxes being a bad thing. Like I feel like we talk about taxes in this way that makes everybody kind of like, like, you know, turtle in of like that I'm not taking my money Whereas it's like, you know, taxes are supposed to be for nice things, right? Like <laughs> We're supposed to be able, like not only to get these like basic things that I think are just like a standard of livability of housing and transit and all of these things. Um, And I'll come back to the transit thing in a second, but also to get like beautiful public amenities and like parks and like things that we can actually be excited about, right? Um, And I was like using the example like say even like programming like my kid it's so hard to get her into programming because like everything is so stocked um there's not enough and you know going to the private sector is like super expensive and like unnecessary um and so even trying to like to kind of like preach to the class of people who kind of like have these choices, they're like debating, like, can I, should I go public or should I go private? And like, what are the advantages and the disadvantage? And it's like, if we actually all just paid into the pot, then we could have like a good public service that we all want to use. It's not this concession that I'm like, oh, well my politics are like, I want my kid to be in the normal swim class with all the other kids. I just like actually also want her to have a good swim class. Right. So there's like these kind of things because, you know, and, and I feel like we're not doing enough of that. Um, And I'm hoping through some of this activism to shift the conversations around taxes in general. And, but that has to come with these bigger decisions from city council, which was kind of the lower half of my deputation, which is like, of course, if you just don't see your taxes doing anything, you don't want to pay them. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, 25% of my property taxes go to the police. So like, fuck that, obviously. Um, But then on top of that, it's just like, how am I paying more property taxes and getting less transit and paying more property taxes and getting less swim glasses and paying more property taxes and getting, you know, the Gardiner Expressway basically is what I'm paying for. And so (laughs) indeed, yeah. So essentially like I was trying to put forward this idea that like, if we pay for it and those of us who, like on a you know on a progressive taxation kind of way where like the people with the most pay the most um and put it into a pool like we can all just have nice things um and so yeah and of course like when we think about something like the TTC user fees um like any user fees is hitting people with the least money the most whereas any taxes are hitting the people with the most money, the most, right? Which is how we want this to work. Um, And so for me, even like my budget is tight every month. And so for me, it does end up evening out in this way where it's like, I save a little here and I spend a little here. And also like, I'm critical about how I distribute my wealth. But- for many of us, like, literally, that is just true, you know, like, if you pay 300 bucks a, a year more in taxes, like, you'll get all of that back in city services in a way that, like, doesn't happen when we're all just, like, adding three bucks to our transit pass every month, you know.
1: That's amazing. And I think, you know, what's great about um, what you just said is I, I thought during the last provincial election. When Doug Ford uh, you know, bribed all the car owners with the, the license sticker. Everyone yeah. I know um,
2: donated theirs to be like, we don't but, want this blood money. thing. <laughs> you know, like
1: the thing, yeah. the thing that like is so interesting about this conversation around taxes and how like people just view it as like, you know, it's such a burden. I think of I don't own a car, so Doug Ford didn't bribe me and I wouldn't have voted for him anyways. But I had fun one either, but, so uh, there you uh, go. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's you know, a hundred dollars, and I would I, I would consider myself a lower income person. a hundred dollars is not a lot of money. And if you can already afford a car, that's not a huge burden. But the province losing a billion dollars annually by you know no longer getting that money, I feel like I feel like the the license plate sticker renewal, was the perfect showing of how taxes are good, actually, because it mm-hmm. is from each individual person a relatively small amount, but like the total that is supposed to go to, are you know again, are, again, I know you're talking about municipal, and it's it's the same, no, but it's really we're talking about the same.
2: I think thing. it's a good example. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. it's 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 the perfect example of each individual person is giving so little, and okay. for something that is just. You know, when they were giving that money back and people were like, oh, that's great for, you know, poor families. A hundred dollars doesn't do anything for you.
2: I mean, but again, a billion dollars. It kind of like feels good. Right. You get that check. Yeah. 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 And like the instant gratification. Totally. Yeah. You know, again, like I said in my deputation of like, there are a bunch of people who are on this line where it's like owning a car (laughs) does hit you right in the budget. But you you're like, I'm making this decision because transit sucks so bad. Mm-hmm. You know? And it's like when I think about, you know, like I have a kid, as I said, and like I'm getting around in the winter and like I am so determined to take transit and to walk and to cycle. And like, it's such a worse option so much of the time. I'm like, how long would this take to drive? 15 minutes. How long would this take to transit? 53 minutes. And I'm like, how can I justify that? When I'm like on this four hour window where my kid is awake and like all of these things. And it's just like, of course, sometimes life is just hard and you have to make concessions and it's fine. But like that discrepancy is too big. Whereas most Mm -hmm. of the time I'm willing to double it. Like, okay, 15 minute drive, 30 minute transit. And I'm like, okay, I'm not driving and that feels good to me and I'm not paying for parking and my kid hates the car and she loves the subway. And like, there's all these really great reasons to take a good functioning transit system, even if it's a little bit less convenient, but we're not balancing that by like making the car inconvenient enough and making transit convenient enough for that decision for all of these folks in the middle, for them to make the right one, Mm -hmm. you know? because it's not actually like a good decision. You're just like making a really shitty big sacrifice of spending half your day in an underfunded transit system, which sucks. So
0: I drive. um, And I know that Philip doesn't and uh, this man, (laughs)
2: this <laughs> man! I drive too, and you can boo me. That's okay. Right, tomato, <laughs> but but, but yeah.
0: it's been, My point is, it's been years since I've I've been on the transit, so I'd love to know uh, what you guys, if you guys, have noticed the difference since police have been on the the subway because you know. I've heard stories, you know, they're not just there to deter any violence. They're waking up people that are sleeping, including homeless people. They're, yeah. they're, they're, they're removing panhandlers and, and mm-hmm. there's probably other things they're doing, but again, those are the only two that come to mind. And, and I'm just wondering uh, if you guys, any, any of you can speak to that, including you, Phil, cause you
1: ride it every day. Yeah, That's true. Yeah. Um, although I'll let, again, a guest show, you guys are here. <laughs> I'm not Kira, a daily like commuter, say?
2: so uh, I can't really speak to it that much. I can just speak to the fact that I've seen it a like serious decline in its quality. Like, yeah, when I, use it. I never used to wait 10 minutes for a subway. Like, I thought that was really wild when I would see a 10 on the thing. Like, I couldn't, mm-hmm. I didn't even think that was a thing because um, yeah. I used to ride it a lot, um, like a few years ago. Um, and yeah. like, I didn't even know that was possible.
3: Like, I haven't seen Personally, I haven't seen uh, an increase. I think I've seen, I saw two police officers because they go in groups of two um, at one station and I cannot remember for the life of me which station it was. Maybe it was Bathurst Station last week. Um, but I have seen more fare inspectors mm. um, and I have, you know, so I grew up in Scarborough um, like in the heart of Scarborough, Markham and Lawrence car central, oh, like boy. everybody has a car. Um, I used to have a car when I lived in Scarborough because it was, you know, seven kilometers from my house to Kennedy station. And I worked at St. George, so I had to, like, I had to oh, get wow. there somehow. And it would have taken me like 45 minutes on the bus to get there. Cause I only so, had one bus and it came once an hour. So basically um,
0: you're saying, is it's, that Cedar it's, Bray Mall? Yeah. It's what is it is it uh ward twenty-five, which has been described to me as a transit uh desert.
3: Yeah, I think it's ward twenty-five.
1: Yeah. Uh it's pretty much as soon as you go uh east of Kennedy, it's fucked pretty much. Yeah,
3: exactly. And that is where I grew up. Um and like I grew up in Agincourt court, which is even further out that way, and then I moved to Markham and Lawrence, where I grew up. So I have kind of that like both sides of the coin um sort of experience and I will say that yeah it definitely was a hell of a lot easier to have a car to get around in Scarborough but I didn't like that I wanted to take the bus I wanted to take you know the I was about to say the streetcar there's no streetcars in Scarborough Kayla um I wish there were but like no
0: no no (laughs) no take that back you don't listen I lived for (laughs) 13 years um uh, on Lakeshore cuz my wa- my wife's from Lakeshore. Yeah. And I'm telling you for the better part for the bulk of that the the at best the streetcar ran I'll say 70% of the time but it's really 50%.
3: Well, and see and that's the exact problem and I think what I saw a lot was you know I grew up in a neighborhood that like it had a park across the street, but the next closest, you know, sort of third place where people could just hang out was Cedar Bray Mall. And you got kicked out of there if you were loitering around for too long, or you'd have to feel like you had to spend money in order to be able to stay in there. And I actually, I worked at Cedar Bray Mall too. Um, but beyond that, you know, it's like Britt said, it's one thing to make it harder to drive your car around the city or to drive around to get places which you know sure let's do that but you cannot do that and not make the other options for getting where you need to go also shittier (laughs) you know I was handing out flyers today at Woodbine subway station being like You just got off the subway. Did you know that it's actually going to get worse (laughs) than it is right now very soon if we don't do something about it? And oh, are you doing
1: that with uh, TTC riders?
3: I was, yes, (laughs) but at three thirty, and nobody was there. Oh, they—I think they got there slightly after that because I didn't get there until like four ten. But that's Mm. okay. There's going to be another one later. Um, but the thing is, is that all of this is manufactured and like placing the, you know transit versus cars as like this binary thing where if you choose one, you're not choosing the other or you have to choose only one is it helps no one. And it really just serves to make this like as contentious of an issue as it possibly can be because of the fact that we are like making it harder to access transit by making the transit service worse. And then also pushing this narrative that like we need everybody to get rid of their cars tomorrow because that's not going to happen and so instead of doing the things where we make transit so robust and such a desirable and appealing option where people who have the choice like what Britt was saying to leave the car at home and hop on the subway because it's faster because it's more reliable because you don't have to pay for parking because you can read a book or uh you know draw or just daydream while you're on there and people watch like we're not going to get anywhere and the other thing that really pisses me off about to your point matt what you were saying about the you know the deterioration of the state of our society on transit is really that a lot of these issues are like we're seeing the downstream effects of these other larger societal issues and the way in which like it's been portrayed in Toronto specifically has really led people to believe that all of a sudden all unhoused people are perpetrating acts of violence on the TTC, which is actually completely without any basis. In fact, like any of the, you know, myriad events that we've seen plastered across the media repeatedly over the last few weeks have only served to manufacture consent and having people interact more frequently with police and to basically undermine, you know, people's acceptance of unhoused people being in a shared public space.
0: I'm glad you said that because I I wanted to tell you, um, I don't know if you had a chance to go back and listen to our previous episodes, but I have, um, I guess... It's no secret. In 2026, I'm going to run. I I don't know where yet. Um, I don't know uh, for what, but I'm going to run. One of the things that I firmly believe in is uh, going back to what you and and Britt were saying about the gardener. And I'm going to tie this into the unhoused people in a second. You'll see. Um, The city of Toronto currently has $2 billion in its reserve funds right now. And John Tory has every... um, every inclination, I guess, that he's going to use that money to rehab the gardener. Um, I believe it's for Ontario place purposes. I believe it's because Doug Ford told him to, um, mm-hmm. but he won't get off it. He, he, he said in the debate, I want to make sure the gardener gets fixed. I'll tie it into unhoused people in a second, but I, I first want to ask you or make you aware that, um, if you consider Toronto to be a world class city, which
3: I don't, I, but that's okay. <laughs> okay Not well, right now. <laughs> no, no, it's cool. Yeah. No,
0: but no, but in general, so I would say yes to that question, uh, Britt. What about you? Would Would you say uh, yes that it's a world class city, or it's okay if you say no? I just wanted to know. I think
2: it has the potential to be. I would say that mm-hmm. like ten years ago when I lived here, like I was really proud to live here. You know, mm-hmm. and I actually left the country for a little bit it was like so gear and like i know where we want to be it's the place that i love and then i came back and was feeling really like oh my god what have i done you know like so i so I, there you know, is a there is this the, like there's a there is this feeling. nostalgic kind of yeah i think like 90s early aughts kind of thing place mm-hmm. where like oh this was actually like a cultural hub a great place to be um yeah, so and a lot of potential like as a food person you know it feels like yeah the there's all these ways that it could feel like a world-class city but we're like slowly destroying it
0: and it's okay to disagree phil and i honestly phil and i we don't agree on much um we don't (laughs) sit on the same side of the political aisle but we firmly believe that we can agree to disagree and still work together which is why we have this podcast so even if you disagree with me i'm cool with that Mm -hmm. um So anyway, so I I believe it's a world-class city. So then I asked myself this next question, which was actually brought to us uh, by one of our previous guests. He's a columnist uh, columnist named Nick Kosovan. He said, what world-class city do you know that has a highway running through their downtown portion? And the answer is zero. So if we were to tear down the gardener and make it into a boulevard or do whatever we want with it, but take away the elevated portion. I believe it's I'm 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 not sure if it I know anything east of Jarvis. I'm not sure of the rest of it, because I know there's more of it that's elevated. I think it mm-hmm. I think it it might go all the way back to exhibition stadium. I don't Yeah, know.
3: that's where it comes down to grade.
0: Okay. Yeah. So if we can get rid of that and instead use the two billion dollars or the money that we would save. To restore every unhoused person to their former life, because not every on, not any unhoused person was born unhoused. You see what I'm saying? Something happened in their life; they became an addict, or they ran away from home, or or whatever the situation. And restore them to their former life, where they're in control and they have a roof over their head. And in doing so, we create a taxpayer. And we create a, a contributing member of society. And there is no more, even if I don't see it as a problem. I mean, it, it's it's a problem because it's happening. That's why it's a problem. It's uh, They're not creating a problem. But the problem mm-hmm. is gone because then, for lack, you know, hopefully we have no unhoused people. And I, I believe so strongly in that, that if I run, that's going to be one of my uh, points that I, that I want to uh, live by because I I firmly believe that everybody listen I am the king you know it's funny because my last name is king but I am the king of second chances I've been given so many second chances and it's it's time for every on-house person in the city of Toronto to get their second chance that's the way I see it your thoughts
2: I mean, my thought is that we should definitely get rid of the Gardner Expressway and house everyone. So Mm -hmm. yeah, with you. Yeah.
3: (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, no, I agree. I think,
2: yeah. Go ahead, Kayla. That was solid and easy. Yeah,
3: Yeah, I was going to say, I think it would cost, I think if I remember correctly, because there was, I was looking this up during the last municipal election when I was trying to figure out how much we would actually have free, um, in terms of cash to be able to do things with if we got rid of the gardener i think it would cost half a billion dollars to remove it um and you know they're saying it's 2 billion dollars uh to to do the re- revitalization so to speak and you're right there is no other world class city that has an elevated expressway that is a 400 series highway essentially running through the middle of it <laughs> um not actually, just the middle of it
2: like cutting the entire city off of the waterfront belly, yes yes so wonderfully have you exactly
3: know. exactly that uh you know I was looking recently for other cities that had that had this and when they got rid of when they got rid of their elevated expressways um then I was thinking about Seattle who actually the city of Seattle tore down the last of their elevated expressway in 2019 so you know in terms of the number of other cities that have them it's quickly going dwindling down to zero and I think what the gardener represents for me is a complete unwillingness to come up to the time that we're living
2: in and yeah I think that's a good point Kayla about like I feel like there's this this time thing yeah I, I think this is kind of the cost of having these like very conservative and like, like very old school conservative leadership at the mm-hmm. municipal and provincial levels mm-hmm. who are just like working in, you know, like as a team. Yeah. They're working really in to tandem. pull us And like, just like keep us back, you know, mm-hmm. in this way. And there's this you know, when you think about the gardener compared to like the TTC, you know, if you th- I read this book not that long ago called Palaces for the People, and it really talked mm. about like public space and like shared public space and why yeah. that's so important. Yeah, and like the- if you think about the car compared to like a subway or a bus, a car is a place where you don't interact with anybody, where you're, you're like in your like little space and you have it's individualistic. Right. Compared to like, you know, when I take my kid on a bus, like everyone is talking to her. She is just like chatting and everyone's like, hey, what's going on? And touching her feet and playing games and playing peekaboo. She's a baby. Yeah. So <laughs> She's 12. No <laughs> kidding. Yeah, Yeah. And I just think about like the richness of that experience, like the potential mm-hmm. richness and what it just does to our psyche to remember that we are like, living in community with other people who are mm-hmm. not like us and who mm-hmm. are not like us in like a myriad of ways. Um, whereas like this kind of like most of our city council does not take this way to work. No, you know, and like definitely the people running the province have like a deep seated hatred for urban spaces, you know, mm-hmm. like, it is deep, and it is profound, and it is obvious. And like, they <laughs> are just slowly but surely unraveling any potential for us to be together and be connected and like live in a society, you know, yeah. um, there's this notion that like, you and this is like a very deep conservative notion that anything that you want in the moment needs to happen for you, with no concession for anyone around you which is like the same thing about why would I pay into a pool for taxes that are not like I'm not going to see this direct result and like why would I pay for a CTC system that I don't take when I Mm -hmm. could just drive on the gardener Um, and I think that like it's actually not just these like small decisions happening here and there because of like political, like whatever, you know, feedback they're getting from their constituents, but actually like a long-term project of like, how can we actually just make this into a giant suburb, you know, Mm -hmm. where nobody has to, has to concede anything for anyone else.
3: Yeah. And to, to, you know, kind of draw it back to, to your point, Matt, about the, about housing everyone. I mean, really what you're talking about is, actually living the belief and the and the fact that housing is a human right and that everyone needs to be housed and everyone should be housed and everyone has a right to housing it's not about deservedness it's not even about second chances it is you are a human you exist in space and therefore you need a home and it's like it's really that it's really that simple and I think whenever I look at, at the gardener again, in addition to being that, you know, that belief that we are need to go back to this certain time where it's just about, it's was, you know, we've got the post-war like baby boom era where we've got all of these people having access to capital that they never did before and becoming like, they want the house and the car and the, you know, the like golf club membership and all of these things, which I mean, not everybody, because if you're black, no, you can't have the golf club membership, but It's, again, just bringing us back to that belief that like what you want is what you want and like damn everyone else to your decision. And I think- That's
2: what we're selling, right? Also, we're selling like you actually do have the right to this and it's an affront on Mm -hmm. you when anyone's trying to take it away. So instead of this like, oh, we all pay into the pool and we can have nice things- It's like they're taking away your nice things Mm -hmm. by stealing your money for this pool for Mm -hmm. everybody else who doesn't want to work.
3: Yeah. And saying, you know, with like unhoused people taking refuge on the TTC because their encampments are being bulldozed and they're being lied to about shelter space that doesn't exist. And so, to literally, quite literally, not die overnight, they are taking refuge on the TTC. And now we are being told that because Of unhoused people taking refuge on the TTC, they're taking away our nice, shiny transit system, and therefore it's going to be crap, and nobody should use it, and everyone should just get in their car.
2: Whereas, like, unhoused people are the people who are most vulnerable to violence on the TTC, first of all. Mm -hmm. And I do think, so, like, as a person who formerly was a shelter worker, I can tell you that I think, and someone might feel ways about this, but I'm pretty sure it's true that there is an increased risk of violence in a space where everybody is feeling pretty fucked up mm-hmm. <laughs> and fucked up because they don't have enough to live and fucked up because they're on edge all the time because they're all constantly being like having to be hyper vigilant. Yes. Our nervous their nervous system is just on and- high alert all day every day they're gonna get their shit stolen like the one bag of stuff that they have and they're maybe not gonna get you know they're maybe gonna go up to the cafeteria and be like i don't like what you're serving and the person's gonna be like fuck you and then you know there's like and also like you have a curfew and you're a grown-ass man and like you have all of these things people are like constantly monitoring everything that you do in your life you're at constant risk of losing your bed you know like we take people's beds away in a shelter for the minor transgressions like missing curfew. Like that is like holding someone's housing over their head constantly, right? And so of course these people end up in like heightened states of distress at all time that could lead them to be more prone to committing acts of violence. I do think that that is true because if you're on edge all the time and somebody shoves you by accident, you're gonna turn around and sock them in the face because you're like freaked out all the time, you know? Whereas if you had your needs met and you felt like more calm, that probably wouldn't happen for you. But all that being said, unhoused people are still at the highest risk of also being on the receiving end of violence.
0: Right. Absolutely. Um, because
1: they have it's, it's, they it's have no like,
0: protection. exactly. Yeah. And, and any, anyone who is a bully, there's your target. And, it, and it's,
2: cops it's, are bullies, right? Like cops absolutely. are the biggest bullies on earth. And absolutely like, <laughs> and like I'm, a cop I'm glad i'm not going to harass me on the subway pretty much no matter what i do I'm, I'm, i am I'm glad like a you white mentioned white lady that. with a stroller and like <laughs> no i can do whatever i want
0: i'm glad I you mentioned not... that because that's where i wanted to go next uh mm-hmm. phil phil do you have anything you want to add before
1: we go there so before we go i do have two thoughts one being uh of course after the yeah <clears throat> it's funny I say it in my mind I'm like yeah shelter is a human right of course like it's so obvious but we know governments don't see it and treat it that way but um uh you know just because you brought it up I did want to bring up that the the Ontario Human Rights Commission last week released a statement about um the need for shelter and like warming centers Mm -hmm. so uh I don't have a deeper thought than just that this is a human right and our government is not acting like that's the case which is very frustrating and more i don't know how i want to ask this question because it's it's for both of you guys mm-hmm. and it's for every person who um brought themselves to these deputations like and made a statement to our government that's you know supposed to have their ears open um like kayla like your your speech is very powerful and it's like you'd think it would reach some ears. And I'm not gonna read the whole thing from John Tory, but on January 24th, there was a statement. And again, I'm just gonna read the paragraph that to me is the most insulting, which is uh, after reviewing the budget with city staff and hearing from the public, the committee confirmed that it supports the overall proposed 2023 budget and the investments that it makes in housing, transit, parks, and community safety. How frustrating does it feel to have all this passion from so many people and like you you take it to these people that are supposed to be representing they're supposed to be representing you I think that's also a big thing they're supposed to be your representatives and they hear all these thoughts and these positions and they just say no we were right we we nailed it in one like how does that I I don't I don't have a solid question here except do you, does that make you feel does that come does that go hand in hand with with feeling like (laughs) democracy is sort of like what's the point of the city if it feels like if voting doesn't matter if if talking to your elected representatives doesn't matter like it has to feel so powerless
3: yeah I mean it doesn't feel great that's for sure (laughs) um I think you know I'll, I'll speak for myself when I say I don't think that my intended audience, first and foremost, was necessarily the counselors who were sitting in front of me that day. I think it was the people who were watching, um, because I know more often than not, your elected representatives aren't actually going to listen to you. And that is a really sad fact of life that we have right now and the way that we've constructed our democracy and it's democracy for whom. Um, I always like to put that little question there. Um, But I am a firm believer that if I am hurting or if someone else is hurting, we are all hurting in different ways. And I wanted people who were listening to know that I saw them. And I saw their struggle and I saw their hopes and dreams and the things that they want and need and desire and, you know, strive for. And I wanted to let them know that they were not alone in that. Because I think if nothing else were to come of it, letting people know that they're not alone is a huge thing because, and I don't want to speak for anybody else, but I know I have personally very keenly experienced what it has felt like to be alone. And, you know, I have struggled with my mental health throughout my life. Like it has been something that has been really an albatross around my neck for a really, really long time. And no matter who you are at this point, what is happening in this city, what is happening in this world is affecting you in some way. You may not be able to put your finger on what it is or how it's affecting you right now or ever, but it is. And I just wanted people to know that somebody saw that and that somebody wanted to do something that was going to change it, even if it was for those four minutes that I was talking. Did I hope that I would be listened to? Yes. Did I, did I you know, hope that the what I had to say would suddenly be able to change things? Absolutely. But... When you have people in positions of power who don't view certain human lives as having value, there's not really a lot of ways that you can reach people like that. And I also don't think that we always need to be trying to prove our value to someone who doesn't see us as human because it exhausts us. And that's not productive to the the struggle, to the shared struggle. And so really, what I said was for the people of this city. It wasn't for John Tory, because I know he's not fucking watching those deputations. I know he was going to do exactly what he wanted this entire time. It was for the people. And I feel like I I accomplished that in, in a small way. But really, I was just like, it cannot go unsaid that people are watching the struggle and people are relating to the struggle and people are struggling alongside you. And that was, that was really what I wanted to, my point that I wanted to get across.
2: I think you did a really good job meeting that across. I felt that, yeah, <laughs> thanks. For it. and I think that a lot of people did feel that, And I think that, you know, to kind of like build on what Kayla said is actually, I was so, so motivated by this um, wave of deputations personally. I felt I wa- I spent like days watching them. Yeah, I, like, I did too. Hey. It was like fucking awesome. primetime
3: TV. Like yeah, to me I yeah.
2: like so I I will like I was feeling pretty burnt out at the end of last year and feeling kind of like I'm throwing all this like spaghetti up against the wall trying to see what sticks, you know. And then in the new year I felt like I have this place to channel which is budget time. And then I like I I keep telling people that I have this image of you know kind of when ants like all come up out of their like ant hill, you know, you like drop something and every- and it was like I I've been so reminded that I'm not alone and that I'm not like plucking away at these things by myself and that there's just like people everywhere like plucking away at these things that like I you know we have the big ones you know like progress Toronto and TTC riders that are like really mobilizing right now and it feels awesome but you also just have like people showing up in a way that i'm finding like extremely motivating mm. um and i think i've really tried to shift so when kayla says like you know her deputation was for other people and, and like i felt it and i think everybody felt it and i think it really served its purpose i feel like i am in a place where i have to hang on to some hope that something is going gonna shift something you know mm-hmm. and so i think my deputation was actually more in a direction of people that are i don't know like i'm like a serious lefty i'm a full-blown socialist like you know <laughs> there's no and like uh my deputation was like directed to maybe people a little bit to the right of the political spectrum to for me like i'm i'm kind of shift in a period right now where i'm shifting towards like how can i persuade people to like my vision of a better world you know, and. Like, like who can I persuade and who can I pull at? and I I have this part of me that is like you're right there's these like write-offs that like uh, this guy's not listening and John Tory is on the write-off <laughs> list like, he's not listening he doesn't care um but I think that there actually are city councilors who are like trying to get the pulse on like mm-hmm. what do people think we have like some career politicians who are not like a staunch conservatives like John Tory for mm-hmm. example and okay y- y'all know I do not fuck with Brad Bradford and, you know, (laughs) he is the type of career politician that I cannot stand because Mm -hmm. he is a, not a person with a spine. Mm -hmm. Like, at least I know what Denzel and Wong believes, you know? Mm -hmm. And, like, I know he hates people, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Bradford is like, holy shit, yeah. I want everybody to like me. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, maybe he has voted for things that I did not expect him to vote for Mm -hmm. because of how much pressure was put on him. And before all of this went down, I emailed him to be like, what's your take? And they were basically like, he's still trying to figure out his take. And I was like, here's our fucking chance. Do you know what I mean? Like we need to do this thing and we need to play this long long game Mm -hmm. that is not like how do we get Brad Bradford to care about us? Because Brad Bradford cares about his career as a politician. But, yeah. And, what and, if no, and, and poli- nothing what else. If it's advanced- nothing. Yeah, right. <laughs> but what if it is advantageous for his career as a politician to listen to us, mm-hmm. do you know what I mean? And like, how can we shift our thinking to like, okay, we can like collectively pull the conversation in this direction in a mm-hmm. way that we don't see the results tomorrow and we might not see the results in this budget, but that the next time around, we are building momentum around a message that matters yeah. to people and that resonates with people. And yeah. so that whoever's feeling wishy-washy has to move our way, right? It's like the role of the, like, I don't even want to talk about the NDP because they annoy me too much, but like what <laughs> should be their role is to like pull the conversation to the left. So that Yeah, the to move the Overton window need mm-hmm. to make decisions that are like more in line with what the NDP is pushing right mm-hmm. the conservatives do a really good job at that they say like absolutely fucked up unhinged stuff <laughs> that like pulls the conversation so far into the abyss mm-hmm. of like that like now we're making regular <laughs> conservative decisions and feeling like they're actually their leftist yeah and, like whatever yeah, we- you know the people's I party feel like a
1: good saying. example of what you're talking about is the NDP's dental care that we just got. Yeah, exactly.
2: No, 100%. <laughs> so this is the kind of thing that I'm thinking about is, like, how mm-hmm. can we, again, me reading a, I read another book recently about <laughs> called The Persuaders, and it's about, like, how do we mobilize our base mm-hmm. with, like, this real, radical, beautiful vision of the future and get those people to talk to their people mm-hmm. in a way that, like, actually gets these so-called swing voter people to like buy into what we're selling, which is a vision of the future where we're, not just surviving but we're like having a good time you know well, <laughs> yeah Brit, that's I, kind of I, what I'm selling mm-hmm.
0: Britt I don't know if you're aware but like uh like I was saying before I was on Lakeshore for 13 years and the longtime counselor in that ward was Mark Grimes and it wasn't Ugh. until it wasn't until this election he was defeated by Amber Morley which mm-hmm. yeah, I am so excited game That was a very long game. I'm very excited about what she can do because I got to be honest with you, nobody voted no more than Mark Grimes, not even Brad Bradford. Oh,
2: I know. He's brutal. No, Brad Bradford's a yes man. Like he's trying (laughs) to like be like, what's the popular decision? I'm voting for that. Mm -hmm. And so why? that's why I'm saying we need to make this popular. But you're right about Amber. That's like a long game. And like Kiara Padovani or whatever, I can't Mm -hmm. remember how you pronounce the name, is going to win next time. Mm -hmm. Like, Linsayatta she's done for one foot in the grave first of all okay (laughs) and like you know she can't last much longer she is like being propped up by this she's devolving yeah by you know
3: berating deputants in the middle of their you know deputations and stuff it's just really coming out now like Kiara
2: said she's running again and yeah. she just opened up a hub oh, yeah, in yeah. her community so that she can continue building momentum for the next election. That's the long game, man. That'll be her third one. Was mm-hmm. gonna run. You know, that Bravo? Was... She's running <laughs> that how was many so... times? Like 16 times? I voted for Brilliant. her three times in Davenport and did not get her in, you know? On yeah. different elections. I've
1: always, I've always had the thought of what do people do with their campaign offices after the election's over? And I can't remember who mentioned that uh, that she had turned hers into a community hub, but that's insanely so cool. cool. But you need money to do that, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. yes, I know. And um, well, that's that's why we we of the lesser caches do not open campaign offices. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know if you guys it's know so this, awesome but Phil's know. gonna run again. He's gonna yeah? run into oh, nice. Ward Twenty.
2: <laughs> but you're in the other. You're in
1: um your Scarborough
2: Southwest. Gary.
0: Oh, yeah, that's me. Hell Gary yeah.
1: Crawford oh, You know, and it's it's funny because it it felt like while you were talking about, well, Brad Bradford will do it seems like whatever will advance his political career. I feel like with Gary Crawford, I don't know how he does it, but he just seems so comfortable that it's just like he can do whatever the fuck. and it's like fine.
3: <laughs> it's because of who yeah. he's linked to, right? Like he's of that John Tory era. Oh, yeah. 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 And it's a generational thing. I think, you know, they're just like, we can do whatever we want. Whereas with somebody like Brad, who's a little bit younger and, you know, God forbid he doesn't ever give out the line, I'm a 1986 model. Look it up. He says it at every freaking possible introduction. Um, God, that's disgusting. <laughs> yeah. He's a little bit younger and wants to be liked. And I think is a little bit more aware of his position as a cis white man of privilege that in certain situations he will be like, what is the popular thing? And is the popular thing, you know, something that's slightly more on the left side or slightly more on the you know side of progress, perhaps. But he is a little bit more conscious of the fact that he has to play that game. Whereas people like John Tory and Gary Crawford are just so
2: They're on their way out yeah
3: well let's
0: add let's add one more to the fire because I'm in Ward one uh, which is Vincent Crisanti. Uh-huh. <laughs> enough said <laughs> so if I if I uh, oh, man if I run for uh city council it'll be Ward one uh Mm-hmm. We'll see what happens. Um, but you brought up an interesting point about uh, warming centers. I just have one thing I wanted to talk about, and then we're going to talk about the police to to finish off the night. Uh, there's an article in today's paper. I try to get the paper whenever I can because I I support the Sun. Um, I I have been since I was a kid. I used to be a paper boy for them. Actually, funny story. Um, there's actually a part of this coming meeting uh this council meeting they're going to decide whether uh warming centers should be 24 7 are you Mm -hmm. for fucking real 24 that should already be a thing it shouldn't Mm -hmm. um so i just wanted to uh get your thoughts quickly on that and um and then we can go from there uh, about the police um
3: I mean, yeah, they absolutely should have been open twenty four seven. We should have a warming center in every single ward in this city. Um, but but it shouldn't know, even it,
0: should, it shouldn't even be a conversation, though. It should already be done.
3: Yeah, it should it should already be done, and it should also be that they're open. You know, like it shouldn't be that we have the the random arbitrary threshold of minus fifteen <laughs> degrees when we know for a fact that most. Frostbite and like cold related injuries happen well above that temperature. But here we are. So I'm like, great, let's fucking do it. The Board of Health is recommending this. Let's, you know, say yes. And if you say no, then you are the an absolute demon. Like, I I really don't. I there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Like, were you out last week when it was minus 30 degrees? Like, you know, you're a demon if you
1: don't say yes to that. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) That inspired me to uh the, it was Friday, it was that cold temperature um, and the release of the Interior Human Rights uh, Commission statement that inspired my latest email to, uh, I wrote to John Tory, I wrote to the counselors on the Board of Health, who 50% seem pretty solid and the other 50% haven't heard from, <laughs> and then I sent emails to my Scarborough representative, so that's Gary Crawford, Dolly Begum, and Bill Blair about the, the warming centers because I don't know I don't really know what else I can do other than write emails because I don't have a lot of clout or power but that's I feel like that's all I know what to do is just to pester our elected officials and say "Uh, can this just be our moral imperative please
2: mm-hmm. yeah I did see someone on Twitter who was like it's unreal that we're just like voting on whether that. or not some people should die from freezing, you know. Yeah. It's just like
0: pretty pretty wild.
2: Yeah.
0: Well, Brett, I know that I, I, I know think th-
2: that I think that it'll I think it'll pass.
0: Well, mm-hmm. Brett, I know that you have to get going. Um I wanted to thank you for for coming on the show and know that you are welcomed to participate anytime. We love we love to have well-rounded opinions on this show. Like I said, it doesn't—you <laughs> don't have to agree with us because we actually prefer that you don't, because it shows that we are well-rounded. We let anyone on. Uh, you know, there's been a few Meryl candidates that I've blistered that are going to be on the show next week, as we do the former candidate uh, roundtable, mm-hmm. um, marking because we're not celebrating, but we're marking. <laughs> I, believe, I believe it's a hundred days yeah. uh, since. Uh, the election or 100 days since they, quote, took office, because the new term starts, I think, November fifteenth or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, So we have that to look forward to. But um, again, I want to thank you for coming on the show. And, and Kayla, if you want to stick around for the police discussion, I'd love to have (laughs) you. Sure,
2: I can stick around a
0: little bit. Um, But Britt, (laughs) is there is there anything you want to say in closing, I'll give you the floor.
2: No, just thanks so much, you guys, for having me. I'm sure I agree with whatever Kayla's about to say about police. (laughs) Um, you know, I'm happy to leave her the floor. Um, yeah, but it was really fun talking. It's really nice to get a space to hash out some ideas and also to, you know, be reminded that we're not alone. So, um, yeah, thanks a lot, Matt and Phil and, uh, Kayla. I'll see you soon. Yeah, I'll see you around.
1: Thank you. Uh, so Kayla. <laughs> All right, now mm-hmm. it's time. Now it's time for Kayla to talk about how much she loves the police <laughs> and how they're the perfect institution. <laughs> and uh, and I'll be flabbergasted, but I'll be like, okay, Kayla, I guess if you love the police, I guess that's where we're at.
3: Yeah, thank you. I'll be expecting my check in the mail. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Um... Is that how easy it is? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where do you want to start? I mean.
0: So Gosh. I want to start by, by confessing something.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, as I've said publicly plenty other times, I actually don't believe in defunding the police. And I'll explain why. It's not because I don't, it's not because I love the police. I mm-hmm. actually think for the most part, they've done a horrible job whether it's because they don't care or they're under trained or they're in over their head whatever the reason is um, i mean that's uh, a lot of people are going to have different opinions on that but so i actually believe in the, the, i believe the system is broken and i believe that they need to be completely restructured um there we do need to take money away from them i do believe that i would take about 400 million and the reason for that is because they don't they don't need one point. I mean, where are we at now? One point? I, I, I think it's one point
1: two. Bill, almost yeah. one
0: point two. And I believe the big reason for that is all the officers are clocking in uh, ridiculous overtime. So, if we were to say, let's say each officer with overtime makes one hundred and twenty five thousand a year, so that's eight officers make a million dollars. Mm -hmm. so every eight officers is a million dollars that's a lot of money um it would have to be so specific that you would have to be there when they're creating when the police are creating their budget to see how they budget and what they budget and knock things off like the mounted unit like talk about bringing a, a knife to a gunfight when a cop on a horse shows up at one of the assaults at the TTC station like
3: yeah bringing a horse they... to a subway station what's the horse gonna do on the subway
0: I'd love to know if, <laughs> if so if, if the officer <laughs> caught the person well, and arrested them I, I, what do they do tie a rope around them and then they walk them to. like how does that work
1: in um, regards to that particular picture I would just like to add uh, you know super crazy that they brought the horse you know weeks before there was even snow at the station. Oh yes. I did notice that too.
3: <laughs> I was like, wow, <laughs> you're so on time that you're not even there. God, like, they
1: killed it. There, you know, we really it. gotta I gotta stop being sarcastic about my police kudos. I've really got to stop because <laughs> I will I'll just have I'll have a whole podcast where it's just me speaking sarcastically, but it just ends up being a pro-police podcast. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> well we can't have that now can we? Um
1: no. So we got to talk about how much I hate them. Yeah. I'm okay with that.
3: Yeah. I mean, so I guess, yeah. So Matt, sorry, I continue. What was your, your question in there is just about.
0: Uh, I, so no, just so everything I've laid out for you, I'd love to get your thoughts.
3: Yeah. Um, well, you know, there are many, many people in this world who are better positioned than me to speak on, you know, the framework for abolition and, uh, for defunding the police. Um, And, you know, there's a lot of scholarship around the subject. But I think for me, the biggest thing is that, well, for one thing, I disagree that the system is broken. I believe the system is working exactly the way that it was structured to work, which is to protect capital and to protect property. It's not to protect people. Um, And I think anytime you have a situation where you have an institution that their express purpose is to protect capital and to protect property, you are going to find that people are not even going to come second on that list. They're not even going to come third. They are going to be right at the very bottom. And I say that people people including police officers who go into this institution thinking that they can change it, who are chewed up and spit out and abused and the people who are being abused and murdered by police. Like this is state sanctioned murder. And whether or not you agree with that and whether or not you say, you know, we can, I don't want to get into the specifics of, you know, bringing up the whole, oh, it was self-defense. Oh, they felt like their lives were endangered, whatever. Um, We have to look at the deeper reasons why that might be. And if you're always teaching people that, people who don't look like you or people who aren't socially positioned the same way that you are, are the enemy. And you put a gun in that person's hand, then everything is going to look like a target. And we are seeing that play out in so many different ways. And I think for me, especially with the history of policing and what that was born out of in the United States, which was slave patrols, And I think there's no clearer callback to its origins than the mounted police unit, to be frank. Um, You cannot separate what the express purpose of that institution being created for was to protect property, which in this case were human beings, from that history. Because right now it has continued to perpetuate that belief that property is of more value than human life. And additionally... When it comes to, you know, we're talking about increasing the police budget and we need public safety and all of these things, in my personal in my personal view, seeing more police does not make me feel safe. And it actually has not borne out that having more police has led to increased safety. There is evidentiary proof that that is a, you know, non-factual statement. And in Toronto's case, we keep pumping money into policing when they are not equipped to deal with mental health crises, when they are not equipped to deal with interpersonal issues of communities that have been historically sidelined and marginalized for whatever reason. Um, I mean, for institutional racism, for one thing, and classism as well. But we are basically pumping money into something that cannot and has never been able to fix the problems that we are saying it can fix and our collective refusal to accept that is what is going to keep us locked in this struggle between we need more police funding we need more police and defunding the police and trying something different because we people are not able to see the core of why police exists in the first place the true core of it.
1: I, I, uh, I just had a thought as you're, as you're talking and it's, it's a, co- is a combination of the, oh man, I could think of so many things about the fact that, uh, you know, post-election John Tory spent pretty much the whole time saying, we have no money, man. We can't do anything that you need. that's good for the city. Oh, the police needs $50 million. Here you, you go. go. Like, yeah, yeah, no questions asked, and mm-hmm. like, there's no other institution in the city that's just no questions asked. Uh, you know, no question on success.
2: Check. Yeah,
1: no question on um what they're doing. No question on any scandalous report that came out last summer about mm-hmm. their use of force. Um, nothing. They just they get the cash, and when John Tory was questioned about the logic behind it, or you know, the rationale. Uh, or the evidence. Sorry, the evidence. He didn't have evidence. It was just, I'm the mayor, I won, I get to do what I want.
3: Yeah. Actually and, he said then, the best evidence he had uh happened in October and it was an election.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, that's I, I thought oh, it was because of, like <laughs> th- um, of his feelings. I thought I thought I thought it was because of his feelings. Those two. <laughs> yeah um
1: keep in mind uh I've got no <laughs> no power but then okay but then like a few weeks later he he made a tweet that was talking about the success of the the mental health um, community
3: crisis service like
1: the, yeah yes how they diverted they said something like 75 percent of police 78 like away away from the police mm-hmm. so fund that that 50 million dollars give it to them I don't know just not
3: not the police yeah and i agree with you and i think there's no i mean there are so many amazing excellent well-founded well-researched reasons why pumping money into the institution of policing is not a good idea and actively harms people disproportionately
0: so i so sorry go no no you go ahead and then i'll Uh, jump in
3: i was just gonna say like If it wasn't clear to people before that the argument around whether or not to fund the police is not based in evidence, is not based in history, is not based in the lived experience and testimony of so many people who have been on the receiving end of police violence in the carceral system, then it is quite literally John Tory saying out of one side of his mouth that the police need more funding and then out of the other saying that, oh, this uh thing that we piloted has been wildly successful with not even a 16th of the funding of the police
1: so like I it wanna, doesn't
3: get more plain and in the light of day than that
0: i, I want to say that you're very highly respected on this show phil as soon as i said you were coming on this show phil's like yes <laughs> i believe you were, um i i'm not sure if uh, and I can take this out if you want but you're Jenny warden's um, campaign manager.
3: I was yeah
0: so so your opinion matters when I ask you this next question. okay because <laughs> every because everybody has their own definition I, and I've asked this question before. So when you hear the words defund the police mm-hmm. what is that not what does it mean to you? What does it look like?
3: It looks like the community crisis service. It looks like people calling 911 when they're in a mental health crisis and not being met with a gun in their face, but being met with someone who is able to talk them through and walk with them through that experience and someone who is able to help them find the resources that they need. It is people not being afraid to report when they're assaulted by an intimate partner because they know that when they do report it, that something will be done about it and that situation will be made better, which in many cases, heartbreakingly is not the case. It's not what happens. It means that people who are in instances of, you know, in situations of abuse are able to find a safe way to exit that situation that does not automatically involve them having to go to a place where the power dynamics are so violently on display that they immediately feel unsafe in that situation, being truthful about their experience.
0: And then, and it, yeah. sorry. And then, sorry, I was just going to jump in with another question. And then in, in defunding the police, what then becomes of them? Uh, I guess that would depend on the amount that you would want to defund. Is that correct?
3: Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's, it's really about any dollar amount I guess but it's more about what kind of world do we want to live in do we want to live in a world where people are being killed by police do we want to live in a world where if I get on the subway and I see a cop with an assault rifle at Bloor Young Station I'm going to be like what the fuck kind of place am I living in right now Or do we want to live in a world where people have access to the resources that they need, where people have their their needs met so that they can be expansive in their humanity? I mean, if all we're doing is telling each other and reinforcing the idea that things are scarce, that love is scarce, that community is scarce, that safety is scarce... How is that any way to live? And I feel like in a lot of ways, the institution of policing really represents that scarcity mindset that the world has. That if I have something, someone else is going to try and take it away. And so I need to do everything that I can up to and including arming an entire force, bully force of people to protect that thing from a hypothetical. Really from a hypothetical. And I would much rather we have robust communities that are able to resolve conflict themselves because they have the resources that they require to do that than to have people constantly being deprived of their humanity and then being punished when that deprivation explodes in ways that are unseemly to people in power.
0: That's very well put. I know this is a difficult conversation to have, and uh, I appreciate your thoughts on the uh, on the matter. You know, it doesn't matter if 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 I agree. and actually, you know what, I agree with a lot of points that you made. Uh, you you make some very very compelling arguments, and I want to let you know it's not falling on deaf ears. I hear you, um, and and I I appreciate you putting yourself out there. Uh, Phil, do you have anything to add?
1: uh no except kayla you rule uh glad (laughs) you came on
3: yeah thank you so much for having me and thank you thank you for listening and and trying to imagine a different city and a different state of being with myself and with brit i think you know the minute that we stop having these these conversations about the world that we want to live in is when we're when we've really lost and if nothing else, and just, you know, going back to the the budget deputations and stuff, like what Britt said, watching so many other people, you know, present their arguments and their evidence and their personal stories and their experience and their humanity showed me that we haven't lost, at least not yet. And I think if nothing else, that's what I'm going to take forward into all of the work that's to come is that as long as people are still willing to be vulnerable and to, be o- and to open up themselves to show all of the messy, squidgy parts within them for others, then that means that there's still something that is worth struggling for and is worth fighting for. And so that's kind of where I'm coming from it. You know, I often... I remember I see I saw this as a tweet ages ago, but I think it's so accurate. And it's like I have all of these very strong opinions and beliefs and, you know, morals and ethics that to some people can feel very grating and very, you know, very abrasive and very aggressive. And, you know, all of these, quote unquote, negative words, but they they are rooted in the softest, squishiest, most human parts of myself. and. I think I would always, I will always choose this way of being, even if it's so painful sometimes than the alternative, because then I, I'm divorcing myself from my humanity. And I don't want to do that because I don't think that actually helps anyone.
0: Is there any chance that you're going to run? Because <laughs> it's, it's, it's your compassion is, is just jumping through the microphone and, it's it's people like you that need to be a part of city council. I mean, I say the same thing about Alejandra Bravo. She's probably well, and uh, Jamal Myers. Hmm. Um, those are the two new councilors that have gone gone above and beyond since uh, they were elected. Um, and yeah, uh, they really have. Any, Sorry, bringing it back to you. Any chance that uh, you may throw your hat in the ring in 2026?
3: I mean, that's a long time. Um, (laughs) But, you know, I'm not closing the door on it, and I'm not saying I would never do it. I think my hesitation um, is sometimes that I am a very sensitive person, and I don't want to lose that. And I worry sometimes that when you're in an institution that is structured the way that our political system is, that the way that our municipal, you know, system is, that you kind of have to lose that in order to get by.
0: You mean and, having You mean having to play the game?
3: Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I'm, I don't know if I'm there yet. I don't know if I want to play that game. I might want to play a game, but I think it might be a different one. <laughs> um, but yeah, if the last three years have taught me anything is that three years is a very long time and a lot of things can really change. Um, and so I'm not saying no, I'm not saying never. Um, I'm just saying, I don't know.
0: Well, I want yeah. to thank you for for coming on and and brightening our day and, <laughs> and having the, you know, having the difficult conversations, uh, you know. A lot of people don't want to do that, and don't want to go that far. So I really, really appreciate it uh, to my listeners. Uh, next week is the week we're going to be having the the former candidate round table. Anyway, um, we're going to be having it's it. Been a it, long
1: day, Matt. It's all good. It's, it's been all a, good.
0: It's been a long day. Uh, Gil Penalosa is <laughs> going to be there. Sarah Kleimanhang is going to be there. Reginald Tall is going to be there. Singh Singh's going to be there. Uh, there are others I'm forgetting. And if uh, I didn't mention your name, I apologize. But Chloe her...
3: Marie Brown. Give it up for my girl, Chloe.
0: I love Chloe. I had yeah, her on... We I had, had her on Chloe our second. Our... She was our first guest on our second episode. Uh, She's a real one. We, 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 mm-hmm. we, yeah. we love Chloe. I, I endorsed her. I voted for her. Um, and uh, I haven't heard from her, but I'm going to send her an invite. So hopefully she participates as well because... I just love uh, I love talking to her. She's an amazing person. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, actually, before the end of February, we're gonna have Jenny Warden on the
1: show.
3: Yeah, my gal.
1: <laughs> and we'll just gossip about you. Oh my goodness, <laughs>
3: Jenny! What what's to
1: do with Kayla? What's going on?
3: <laughs> Kayla Hunt, what that? What is that lady like? <laughs> hmm.
1: <laughs> I don't know.
0: <laughs> so again, Never thank you. Sure,
1: but uh... <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> so again, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you uh, for participating. Um, thank you. Yeah, it's really, you. really what it comes down to. And and like I said to Britt, you're welcome to participate anytime. The door is always open here at the municipals.
3: Thank you so much for having me, guys. It was it was really great to be here and to be able to kind of have these discussions with you and. And yeah, imagine a better world.
0: And uh, if Phil doesn't have anything to add, uh, I'll just say that, uh, you know, for Phil and myself, we'll see you guys all next week. This is The Municipal.
1: Have you been paying attention to like city stuff?
0: Don't vote, can't
1: pitch. Sorry to, uh, to
0: point that finger at you. My answer was that would be yes and no.
1: My tummy hurts. And I'm mad at the government.
0: You're saying council wouldn't approve it, and two, you're robbing them of their their voice.
1: It's it's he's already he's already failed to vote. Uh,